Okay, Mark chapter 16, if you will, and we're coming now to the last chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we're coming into probably one of the greatest battleground passages in your scripture. And it has nothing to do with the resurrection. It just has to do with the the last verses, uh, verse 9 to the end, because most of the new Bibles leave it out or they put it in with the footnote or they footnote and then in the footnote put the verses in. And then when you read the verses in the footnote, the verses are wrong. (laughs) So... You know, I, 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 you know, I, it's a funny thing when you, when you deal with the new Bibles, you know, let's be consistent. And if they're consistent, then okay, but if they're usually not. So everybody from the NIV all the way to the New King James, they'll throw a footnote on here. And we're not going to talk about it today, but here's Schofield's note, which is what everybody copies. He says, and he's, the note is on verse 9. The passage from verse 9 to the end is not found in the two most ancient manuscripts, the Sinaitica and the Vatican, and others have it with partial omissions and variations. But it is quoted by Irenaeus and Hippolytus, Hippopotamus, in the 2nd or 3rd century. It's, it's Hippolytus, L-Y-T-U-S on the end, Hippo and then Lytus. So, that's what everybody quotes. It's in the old blah, 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 and we'll deal with it when we get down there to it. The chapter is about the resurrection of Christ. The last chapter of every gospel is about the resurrection of Christ. And again, Mark's account is going to be just like the whole book, quick to the point, done. <laughs> not flowery, not a lot of detail. Uh, verse 1, and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And, you, and, and again, verse, well, verse 2, and, there, and very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came un, up unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll uh, us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall you see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first. There's nothing here about Christ being seen. There's no talk about it. And, and rather, and, and again, well, not till verse 9, you know, he doesn't, none, nothing about Christ and being seen and him talking to the two on the road. To, actually, the two on the road is going to be down in verse 12. It's just one verse. Matthew, it's a whole section, a whole conversation. And that's because Mark 
in the resurrection of Christ isn't focusing on Christ. He's focusing on the disciples and the impression that his resurrection has on them. So there's not, not so much about Jesus being seen or Jesus saying, hey, you can't touch me. I haven't been to the Father. The, you know, yet all that stuff, sitting in, showing up, walking through the wall. Hey, let's eat. You know, none of that. Verse 20, and they, the disciples, went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. And that is Mark's protocol. All of Mark is about the Lord working. Now the disciples, so the focus is the resurrection here, but now it's the focus on the workers. And what that, that event, what it, what it impressed on them, what, what, what's going on about them. So when we go through this, we're going to go down, probably down through about verse 7. We'll get to Peter, I hope clockwise okay at least that's my plan and we just notice the flavor notice the flow and again mark isn't it's that it's that portrait being painted and mark is working focusing in on the workers and 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 the and the oppression the impression the the whole thing on them verse one and when the sabbath was passed mary magdalene and mary the mother of james and salome had brought had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Now, think about what the, what the scene is. Verse 47, 1547. And Mary Magdalene and the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. The last people at the tomb are these ladies. Now, Joseph of Arimathea is there, and so is Nicodemus, because they go to Pilate, get the body, get him buried, but they leave, and the ladies are the last to leave, and yet, guess what? They're the first ones there on the first day of the week. The Sabbath is over. And again, Mary, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all are going to have very, they're going to have very particular viewpoints of the Lord, but guess who's there in all four accounts? These ladies, the women. And they come, and they're going to, they're going to spice, they're coming and they're going to anoint the body and take care of the body and they're going to do. So you've got some things in here that are happening. Now, verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, okay, so he's crucified on Thursday, Passover day. Friday after is a high day. It's a special Sabbath day because it's the first day of the, uh, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's no servile work. Saturday is their weekly Sabbath, their normal Sabbath. So Sunday's the first day of the week. And there they, they come, and they're coming to anoint his body. By the way, they come early, very early in the, you know, they're, they're coming. Now, you have to think about these guys, these ladies, they have just spent a very special time on their calendar distraught, full of sorrow, full of, full of worry. The, 
they come early. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary and Magdalene, they come, verse 2, and very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they come into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. They, they're coming early. They're coming out of love for the Lord and sorrow that he's, do, that, that he's dead. They have spent the whole time, Thursday he died, Passover, they spent Passover, for unleavened bread, normal Sabbath day, times when they're supposed to be reflecting and thinking about, and they, their hope is dead. He's dead. Their future is dead. All that they hold, come over to Luke 24, all that they hold dear is dead. Everything, the Messiah, all of it, they just, he's dead. And they're in complete and total disarray. Trauma has set in. Sorrow has got them. Grief has got them. In Luke 24, the two guys on the road, verse 21, he, the Lord's talking to them, and he, the, the, the two said, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. You see, their Savior died. They thought, there's our Savior, there's our Messiah, and he's dead. They had no thought about his resurrection, see. By the way, verse 21 goes on, and besides all this, today is the third day since th these things were done. That's Sunday, Monday, Saturday, Friday, Thursday, see, three days. So, you know, everybody gets all worked up on the schedule and everything, and we'll look at it as we go. And again, when you come back to Mark 16, they had no thought about his resurrection. All they knew was he is dead. We saw him lay him in the grave. We saw him roll the stone over. And he's dead. Now, how can that be? Because the Lord three times at least had plainly taught them that he was going to go to Jerusalem, be killed, be buried, and be resurrected. How can that be? How can they be? How can they not? I mean, you think about it. Mary Magdalene, they go, verse 3, they say, who's going to roll the stone away? They're not, they, they don't even, they're ill-prepared. How are we going to get that thing? You know, come on, Mary, let's go, you know. <laughs> you get that side, I'll get the, we'll throw a rope around it or something, you know. And the thing is, is the question comes up, well, then why didn't they get it? How, what is going on? Well, Trauma tends to move the truth out of our thinking. He had plainly spoken to them. And again, really, it's no matter how plainly he spoke about this to them, in the moment when that truth was needed to be applied, it has go it's gone. When, when it's time to apply the word, the, tr the truth that he told them the third day I'm going to rise, the trauma causes them to forget the very truth that is needed. That's why the angel is going to say some things that he's going to say to them to kind of wake them up. When, and, and really, for these guys, for the, for the ladies, for the disciples, 
trauma moves that truth away from you real quick, especially when you don't believe it to begin with. Because when the Lord said, I'm going to go and die, what did Peter say? Not so, they ain't touching you. And he rebukes the Lord. And, and, and then one, you know, uh, Luke 18, they don't even ask questions. They say nothing. You know, they're just quiet, see. So, they don't, so the emotion of the moment, again, they've just spent the weekend thinking about their all is dead. How can that be? They're not thinking clearly. And you and I understand that, you know, we, we see when, you know, you see the trauma when you lose a loved one, and it's like, how can that be, you know, and then you just, and all it takes is somebody to come by and say, hey, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And it just kind of wakes you up. It's like, oh, yeah. And that trauma, the emotion of the moment causes you not to think clearly, and that's what it's doing here to these ladies. The moment to believe, the moment that you need the truth, the Buddha, you know, sometimes you just need somebody to come up and put your arm around you and say, hey, you know, comfort, wherefore comfort one another with these words and lay the comfort out there, the truth out there. And that's literally what's happening here. It isn't that they're, you know, we use that passage in John. If you come over there to John 19, we're in verse, I'm sorry, John 20, verse 9. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Again, that's the resurrection issue. They, they had been taught it, but they just weren't applying the, the information. So when you come back to Mark 16, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the Marys come. They're coming to anoint the body. They are, they are anticipating him being there verse 2 and very early in the morning the first day of the week they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun they're up early i mean they are not wasting any time they want to get in there and make sure everything so they say verse 3 they said among themselves who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher uh, that's poor planning now, they know the stone's there, back up in 1546, and he brought fine linen to he there, that's James uh, of Arimathea, and I'm sorry, Joseph of Arimathea and, and Nicodemus. They bring the fine linen, they take him down, they wrap him in the linen, laid him in the sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled the stone into the door of the sepulcher. Now, the stone's there to keep everybody out from stealing his body, because that's what the Jews required. Now, we know that from... Matthew, Luke, okay? We don't need that in Mark. Mark's not concerned with that. Mark's looking at Mary and, and, and the, the ladies. He's going to look here at Peter. He's going to, you know, so there's some things that are happening here. They saw the stone set, and their very first question is, is who's going to do, the, who's going to open it? Now, again, you know, it's oh dark 30, and they're on their way to, to the tomb early, and it's like, well, maybe let's call Paul. Let's, you know, let's call Peter. Let's call John. Let's, you know, and let's get some people here. And it's a little late. There's, they are, it's not, a, they're not thinking clearly. The grief, the impulse of, of their sorrow, of their love for, their, for the Lord. You see, their love for him 
and their heart, their broken heart over his death. They're not think. They're just up, you know, in a daze. And and I honestly, when Brian passed away, I can remember those days like they were yesterday, even though it was eleven years ago. You know, the days after and getting everything, and just you know, you got to get up because the sun's up, and you just roll out and you just do it. And and again, just that heartbroken, the trauma in the moment. Verse 4, and when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. Now they get there, and guess what? The stone's rolled away. Now what's going through their mind? Well, not no more the death. Is he still in it? Who took him? What's going on? Now they could see in. Now the stone being rolled away was not so that Christ could get out, but it was so that they could go in and see that he was that the tomb was empty. Come over to Matthew 28. Jesus Christ, and again, the details of this. <laughs> Jesus Christ, he just walked right out of those bed linens. Luke 24, the head nap, the napkin lays right where the head was. He just right out of it. And the idea there is later on when he shows up in the middle of the room with them and says, boo, or peace be with you. <laughs> boo is me. I would be boo, <laughs> you know. And he just, he came right through the wall. That's the idea. He just came right out of those, those uh, grave clothes. And again, there's a lot of stuff going on here that, that kind of, because of this verse, now you think about this over here. Think about Lazarus when he was raised. He wasn't raised with a new body. He was raised, he was bound and hopping out, and the Lord says, loose him, his physical body. See, this isn't a physical body. So there's a difference between the physical body and then the resurrection body. The Lord in the tomb, they go in and they see the grave clothes. They're going to see where they laid him. And those grave clothes are laying exactly configured to exactly the way he was. When we were hiking the Grand Canyon, I have you have a sleeping pad to go underneath your your uh, sleeping bag, so you're you're not sleeping on rocks and you get some sleep. And by the third night, the pad had my indention in it pretty good, you know, even though it was blow up, take down, and everything. Why? Well, because and so that's what they have here. So that resurrection, that transformed body. Versus the physical body, the natural body. Lazarus was revived because he later died. See, Jesus Christ, he didn't need an exit strategy to get out of the tomb, but he needed an entrance strategy so everybody could come in and see he wasn't there. Validate the witness evidence, he's gone. Okay? Matthew 28, verse 1. In the, end of the sa- in the end of the Sabbath, as it is be- beginning to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Now here's how the stones rolled away. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. So there's an earthquake, and the angel of the Lord shows up, and they roll the stone away. And what's interesting is he sat on it. You know, I think about the Fonz. Sit on it, Potsy. You know, I, every time I read that, I think about the Fonz. 
happy days. Boy, is that dating me. Gee whiz. Verse 3. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Uh, the keepers, that's the, the centurion, that's the guard, the Roman guard around them. That's how you know that when somebody tells you they saw an angel, they didn't see anything but a figment of their imagination. What did the Lord, the angel of the Lord, cause those men to do? Pass out like they're dead. The, if an angel came in here and showed himself in here, it would shock us and would probably cause us to just to faint away, you know. Uh, that's why Paul says in Colossians that they're intruding into things that he has not seen. The new Bibles take out the not, you know. So anyway, see, every little thing here just kind of leads to other, other things. The soldier, uh, verse uh, 5, the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples. You see, who's talking to these, la these, these the ladies? The one who rolled away the stone, the angel of the Lord, the one sitting on the stone. Now, there's two guys, there's two angels. One's outside sitting on the stone. The other one, Mark 16, 5, he's sitting inside on the right hand. He's sitting at the head, okay? But who's, so you've got the stone rolled away. Come back to Mark 16. Mark 16, verse 4. And when they looked, they saw the stone roll, was rolled away, for it was very great. So you've got the angel of the Lord roll away the stone, the earthquake. The tomb is empty. The soldiers are gone. They've reported back now to the Jewish leadership and Pilate that his body's gone. So, okay, well, what you guys are going to say in your reports, make sure everybody's on the same line, is that his disciples came and stole his body. That's the report. See, And off they go. Verse 6, And he saith unto them, I'm sorry, verse 5, And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right hand, the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they lay. You see how Mark just kind of says some things a little different than Matthew in there. The thing of it, though, is, is the tomb is empty. He's not here, not because someone stole him, but because he is risen. That's why he'll say, why do you look for the living among the dead over in John? Why are you, you know, what's going on here, guys? See, so you've got this angel. Uh, come, over, come over with me to Revelation 21. It, it's an interesting thing about the angels in scriptures. Now, it, the angel in scriptures, not the little guardian angel, little trinket that religion tries to sell you for $9.99 and it's made in China, okay? But the priest blessed it. So I can remember the one time we had a neighbor growing up and they were Roman Catholic and they planted the real estate guy upside down in their front yard. Jo Joseph, Mary's husband. Okay, Joseph, you know, 
and they did that, and the priest was out there blessing everything and doing the whole shebang. And we're watching from the driveway. I mean, mom made us stop playing ball out of respect for what the neighbors were doing, you know, just to be respectful. And then the guy came and put the sign in the yard, and he put it right on top of Joseph. <laughs> so we don't know if Joseph was still in the ground or not because he used a post-hole digger. <laughs> and, the, and the poor lady comes running out, stop, 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 Joseph, 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 stop, stop, stop. <laughs> And that was comical, I'm sorry, and I'm not, you know. But then five days later, the house sells, so they give a proportion back to the church because Joseph sold the house. And I'm sitting there going, I think it was the sign that was on top of Joseph that sold the house, you know. But angels in your Bible are not that at all. Revelation 21, in Scripture, angels have a male appearance. They do not have long hair they're not feminine looking they don't have wings now certain realms uh, certain components of the angelic realm do the seraphims the cherubims and so forth actually there are women Zechariah 5 there's two women described they have wings or described as but they're demonic so you have other things other descriptions of creatures supernatural that have this but angels, Hebrews says, Hebrews 1, they're, they're designed to be messengers from God, and they are men, okay? Now, the reason they're men is because they are messengers from God, and when God's, where God's word is given, there's an authority issue that falls on the shoulder of men to handle. It's like Aquila and Priscilla. Anytime you see Aquila and Priscilla dealing with doctrine, it's always Aquila and Priscilla but when they're taking care of Paul, it's Priscilla and Aquila because those roles get reversed. Anyway, Revelation 21, verse 17, and he measured the wall thereof, 140 and four cubits, against the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. Now, a cubit is said to be from elbow to middle big finger, tallest finger, so it's really about 18 inches. But I got two books back here that say two different numbers. So you figure that out. When you do, let me know. I'd appreciate it, okay? Talking about New Jerusalem, the measurements out, what are we going to do? We're going to come back to Mark 16 is what you're going to do. We're going to use this measurement on the arm, and it's of a man that is of an angel. So when you see angels, the sons of God and so forth, uh, the morning stars that sang, Job calls them, then they have this appearance of men. Also, by the way, in Noah's day, the angels, the sons of God that left their first estate, visited the daughters of men, and then they have the giants and so forth. So obviously there ha there's an issue of them not being sexless. That's another thing. Oh, they're sexless. No, they're men. You know, the, the, so there's not all of that you got to be careful with, and now we're off into stuff that you don't, is not in Mark 16, okay? Go back to Mark 16. Notice, by the way, in verse 5, they entered into the sepulcher. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, a young man. So one of the angels, the angel here is described as a young man. Now think about this angel. He's a created being, Genesis 1. Just say Genesis 1. 
he's at least 4,000 years old. And he's a young man. So they don't age. I mean, I'm a young man. But compared to others, I'm not, see. They don't age, you know. I, I, I got new eyeglasses the other day, and, and I'm having, I was having trouble reading out of the box. I don't know, it, something's in the prescription. So I take them back to Costco. They twisted my head. They twisted the They did all this stuff. Finally, the lady looks at me. She goes, you need to go back to the doctor because the script's not right. So I got my old ones back on so I can read and see. I, I struggled through it Sunday. You didn't know it because I'm, I'm good at that. So you wouldn't. Good job. Thank you. Okay. But the thing of it is, is why now I've got bifocals and I got to have a reader. So really, I guess that's a trifocal. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. I'll have a quad in the next time go around, you know. But the thing is, is that's what happens. You, you can't read because you're aging. When I talked to the eye doctor, I had RK done way back. And when I had RK done back in the early 90s, the uh, doctor told me, when you turn 40, you'll have to wear glasses because that's the age your eyes are going to turn in the major events. And I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, whatever. At 41, guess what I had to put back on my face? Glasses. And that's, you know, so I couldn't see. I was like, oh, man, I know that's an F and I know that's a D. ABC, EGF, you know, and they're like, no. Put this, I'm like, oh, okay. It was like ZXYTR something. I'm like, okay. So a young man, he's at least 40 plus, 4,000 years at least plus, and he's sitting there. So there's a different life. They have a different life issue in the angelic realm, okay, in the angelic world than our world. He's sitting on the right-hand side. That's where the that's the head side of the body. Now notice, sitting on the right clothed, he's calm. He's sitting. He's not running around, he's not looking, he's not nervous. And you would think they would be nervous if they're, I mean, the son just died. The son of God just died. But he's what? He's not here. There's he's not anxious, he's not nervous, he's not upset. He's fully composed. He's sitting. He's resting. His attitude is not one of angst and anxiousness, but just one of calm. And that's exactly what these ladies need because they're in great turmoil emotionally. He's, he's wearing a long white garment. Revelation says those garments are linen. Well, where does linen come from? Linen comes from a linen plant, the flax plant. So how you, so now you get a glimpse into what is in heaven. And I know what people say every time I talk about what heaven looks like. Oh, but Rick, but God can just speak and it be there. But that's not what he does. The earth, our environment, is patterned after the heavenly one. So then when you look around, how did I get, I mean, this shirt's made in Vietnam. What'd they do? They, there's a textile industry. There's the farmer, grows the plant, harvests the plant, sends it down the road. You know, cotton, you go down in uh, the south central area, south of the valley, you see the cotton, you see the guy out there doing it. He takes it to the gin, they mill it out. And 
that's exactly what's happening in heaven. When people say, what kind of work are we doing in heaven? Look around. What you see here is what you're going to be doing up there just without the sin curse and all the pot and all or the, the sin stain on it. Linen. You see, God, God can say, let there be a linen garment and it's there. But that's not what he's doing. He doesn't do that because he wants the service issues to work out. So when you think about he's long, long linen here. By the way, look over with me thinking about that. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. There's something here that, and, and again, we could spend eight weeks looking at the angels. We can spend another eight weeks looking at what heaven looks like. We've done that in other studies. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. Paul describing an, uh, the Acts 14 event where he's stoned and left for dead outside of Derby and Lystra and so forth. Verse 2, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, how that he was caught up into paradise paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter and so forth notice what paul says when he was left for dead acts 14 19 they leave him for dead he says when that event happened one moment i saw a big rock coming at my head and the next moment i'm in the heavens the third heaven and it's very familiar it's not unfamiliar it's not a warm fuzzy glow he says, whether in the body or out of the body, what? I can't tell. There's no, in his experience, there was no light at the end of the tunnel event. See, all that stuff you hear out there, Paul just, and, and the Lord does it in other places too, he, they just wipe that all away of just, it's just fairy tales what religion teaches you. Come over to, to uh, Luke, or come back to Mark 16. On your way, get Luke 20. Just go to Luke 20. Okay, so what happens is, is there, there's some things that are going on here. Again, the, this angel clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrightened. Well, wouldn't you be too if you just saw an angel? And you see one greeted you, welcome, come and take a look. <laughs> then you go in, and there's another one going, and here's where he laid. You know, he's not here, you know. Who's next, Johnny? You know, now they wouldn't be saying that, but that's just, you know, you think about this. And, and you remember Zacchaeus when he, uh, John the Baptist's dad, Zacchaeus, uh, Zacharias, when he saw the, that, that angel and he argued with him, first time in 400 years of silence, here's the Lord speaking now and shocked him. That's the, that's the deal here. Now, Luke 20. So, there's an issue here, a question that we need to look at here quickly is why is there an angel there? Why do these angels appear to them? They didn't need an angel to tell them he's not there. They could go over, look, and see it. See, there's a reason that the angels appeared to them. And the reason for the appearance of the angel is because that angel is, is showing them that 
you see me, you see what we're doing right here, you see this resurrection, that's your resurrection as well. Now look at Luke 20 and just kind of put this together. Luke 20 and verse 33. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife of them is she? For seven had her to wife. You remember the story. You got all whose wife, you know, she got this lady. She's got five husbands, uh, seven brethren. Sorry, verse 29. She's got seven husbands and all this stuff, the brothers and everything. Now watch verse 34. And Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead. So that's the believing remnant. Neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die anymore for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God being the children of the resurrection. When that angel shows up, they are demonstrating, they are putting on display to the ladies, to the disciples, because Peter and John are going to come running up the hill here in a little bit. See, they're putting on display, they're demonstrating to them, this is who you're going to, you're going to join him in resurrection. Now, it's future, so the angels appear to the, not to tell him he's gone. They can see he's gone. But they appear to him because that's what they're going to be like in the resurrection. They're going to have this glow about them. Come back to Mark 16. They're going to have this aura about them. They're going to have this shine. They're going to have this complete thing here. And the angels are just showing. He told you he's going to be raised the third day. So are you one day. And you're going to see it here with us. Now, notice verse 6. Because notice what, notice how he calms their emotions. Their fear, they're affrightened. Verse 6, and he said unto them, be not affrightened. They're scared, but they're also got all that other trauma going, all those other emotions of he's dead, he's, and now somebody took him, oh my goodness, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and he just calms them down. But watch how he does it. Because really, that is, that is the ultimate question. I was reading a counseling book, um, as I do from time to time after telling everybody they don't need self-help books, but it's not a self-help book. I was looking for an answer on and, and how do you calm someone's Fear, all the stuff going on in the world, fear. Well, the books, the Paul says we're, we don't have the spirit of fear. Okay, well, that's good, but how do you do that? You know, it's work, trying to work through some of that. Don't be afraid. They are surprised. They are shocked by the angel being there. So don't, but notice how he does this. He says, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth. You guys came looking for the man Christ Jesus, the man you guys called Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. Now think about him. You call him Jesus. Why? He'll save his people from their sins. You, you know him, his humanity. First John, we, we touched him. We held him. See, Thomas says, 
I ain't going to believe him until I touch him and feel him. He's been crucified. He did official death certificate give, delivered by the centurion to Pilate before this of he's dead. By the way, he's buried. You don't bury live people. You bury dead people. He's dead. But he's risen. And that's the new component. See, he is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. You see, how the angel comes in and the angel begins to use truth. They knew who Jesus Christ was. He just told you guys are seeking who you know. We know he died, but you know what? He is risen, and that's the new piece in the puzzle here. It's not new in that he never told them. It's new now in their thinking. It's cutting through the trauma. Look at where they laid him. Well, again, what was there? The, the grave clothes. See. See the evidence that he's gone. Not someone stole him. By the way, if someone stole him, they would have messed up the grave clothes. He didn't do that. The evidence, there he is. You see, they, he reaches, he literally reaches into the reality of the things that vindicate all of the claims that Christ had made. They, they're there. They're there in verse 6. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. You, he's been, come, come over to Acts 2. Watch Peter do it. Acts 2. You see, the resurrection of Christ was the single most important thing that validated, vindicated all of his claims of being God in human flesh, of being Savior, Redeemer. The resurrection is what did that. Acts 2, 22, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, see there, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken by wicked hands and crucified and slain. You killed him. We've got the official death certificate. Copies on file. Verse 24, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that death, uh, that, that he should be holden of it. The wages of sin is death, but death couldn't hold him because what did he do? He put away death by the sacrifice of himself. So he is risen. He's not here. He's all that you thought he was, okay? Savior, Redeemer, Messiah, all of that. And his resurrection demonstrated the validity of his claims to be all that you know him to be. Come over to Romans 1. Paul says it this way. You see, the resurrection of Christ is, is, is a tremendous e event, it, because it not only does, I mean, he's not there, and he's a living God, not a dead God, but it begins to put that stamp of validation on it. 
In Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And I know what people say, oh, see, Paul's message is back there in the prophets. Well, not really. But the, the issues of verse 3, what does the gospel of God concern? Verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. You see, the prophets have been talking about the son coming, the seed of David, and redeeming and being the redeemer. Paul, part of it, says, comes in and reveals that, that kept secret aspect of all that. Now watch verse 4. And declared to be, declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. Among See that, by whom we? And literally what Paul's doing here is Paul's message is that God took Israel's Messiah and made him our Savior. And that's the that component of the gospel of God. It has to do with the good news that God provided a Redeemer through His Son for not only Israel, but for all of mankind. And the thing that declared Him to be was the power of the resurrection from the dead. Now, you have to think about that. What declares you to be the Son of God. You're saved. You're in, the, you're in Christ. What, well, what's one day, what is God going to do to you one day? Resurrection. See. You see, God will declare you to be his by resurrect, raising you from the dead. It's the same that he did here. By the way, people, you can, have, you can deny it. You can say, not so. Don't believe it. Guess what's going to happen? It is going to happen. <laughs> There's going to be some shocked people at the rapture, okay? You see, the ultimate declaration from the Father concerning you being His is this issue of resurrection from the dead. The ultimate uh, validation, that's the only word I can come up with, stamp that He was the Son of God God in human flesh is what? The resurrection from the dead. That's why that angel says, come and see where they laid him. He's not here. Uh, come over to chapter 1 Corinthians 15. You see, this again, it just plays into this issue, this issue of the resurrection. Yes, death. He, died, he paid the penalty. Buried. The burial proves that he was dead. The, but the resurrection, here's the life. Okay? Look at 1512. Now, just think about this being taught in our church here. Take Corinth out and put Southwest Bible. Think if we thought this way. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So here we are at Southwest Bible Fellowship, and we come up with the great idea that there's no resurrection of the dead. By the way, do you know a group of people who believe that? The Sadducees. 
They believed in no supernatural event. No angels, no resurrection, no nothing supernatural. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. Think about this un unreal idea that have crept into the church there at Corinth. By the way, if it can go here, there in Corinth, guess where it can go? It can go anywhere. We have that wonderful idea floating around that's been floating around since origin, and that's called universalism, where everybody's saved in the end. You know, that's been floating around a long time. Actually, before origin, it was back in Solomon's day, too. just carried a different name. Notice. And if, verse 14, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not risen, I'm sorry, be not raised, your faith is in vain, ye are yet in your sins, then... They also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. You know, I read that and I, it just shakes my head. By the way, do, do you see what Paul did there? Just kind of aside little rabbit trail. Look at verse 17. If Christ be not risen, your faith is in vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Do you see how Paul moved this idea all the way to a concluding point? He said the point is that you don't believe there's a resurrection of the dead. And if that's the case, then we're most men miserable and we, got no, we might as well sell the buildings and let's go fishing and hiking and just enjoy life. Eat, sleep, and marry because tomorrow's another day. And then those are loved ones who've died in Christ, they're done. They're, to they're cooking in hell like a fire too. You see how Paul, so if you come up with an idea, you have to take it all the way to its conclusion. You can't just halfway it and go, okay, now we're out. No, if you say there's no rapture, if you say there's no resurrection, you've got to take that thing down to the end, and guess what the end is? We are all men most miserable. Again, what, uh, verse 3, 15-3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, and that he was buried and that he rose again according to the scripture, and that he was seen of Cephas. And other. There's four things there. He was, come back, come back to Mark 16. There's four things there. He was dead. Then he was buried, dead. Literally, historical evidence the death certificate from the centurion given to Pilate, Mark 15, he's dead. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus come, get the body, bury him in the tomb. Third day, they come, and he's what? Risen. Then he's seen the historical eyewitness, the objective eyewitness accounts that come flowing in. 
So when you come back here to Mark 16, come and see the place. Look at the evidence. He's not here. And that angel, the reason he's there validating all of it was designed to calm their fear, to calm their emotion, to calm their trauma and their dread of our hope is dead. He's gone. Somebody's got him. You know, over there in, 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 in Matthew, I think it is, or maybe it's in John, when, they, when they, Mary turns and says, all right, where did you put his body? Just tell us. We'll go get it. We'll take care of him. No problem. To the gardener, and it was really the Lord, <laughs> you know. You see, the angel's appearance here and the reason for the conversation is to calm their fear, calm their trauma, calm their emotions. And again, Mark is demonstrating the impact of the moment, not on Christ, but on the disciples, on the servants. Verse 7. And verse 7. But go your way. Now just watch the flow of Mark. But go your way. Again, this is the angel talking to him. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. Mark's the only one that tells you that he, he said go talk to Peter. Now, Paul validated it in 1 Corinthians 15 there and then was seen of Cephas. Mark's the only one in the Gospels. The other ones have him talking to the disciples, and then you've got John and Peter and so forth. You've got different things. That he goeth before you into Galilee. And we'll read that uh, here at, at the end of, uh, I think it's at the end of Matthew. Uh, yeah, Matthew 28, 16, they went away into Galilee, and we'll look at that next time. There shall you see him. There's the first time they, anything about seeing him. And that the Galilee meeting is, is a couple days after the resurrection. But yet on the resurrection day, he's seen of Peter. So, And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher. For they trembled and were amazed, neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. They're still worked up. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day, verse 9, of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, and of whom he had cast seven devils, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that uh, had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another form under the two of them, the two on the road, as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Isn't that interesting? He goes and shows up to Mary. Mary goes and tells them they don't believe. He shows up to the two on the road. They don't believe. Verse 14, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and unbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not that which had seen him after he was risen. He finally gets them in the upper room clothes and he goes, I mean, he's chastising them about their unbelief. Okay, now we're going to go back through these verses because the, the time's up. But the thing of it is, is he, he's going, why do you see all of the doubt? Why tell us that they didn't believe? 
when rather they should have, why does the Mark, actually Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us about their unbelief? Why not tell us about, oh, they were excited and blah, all this, and they, I mean, they were just thrilled with joy. Well, their unbelief is going to bear testimony. And it's going to bear testimony on the, on the fact that the value of their subsequent convictions concerning he was raised. They were not looking for Christ to be risen, to be raised. They had no reason to believe that he was risen. They had no reason to go steal his body. They, had, they weren't expecting him to be risen. They had none of that to go out and proclaim that he had risen. They had no thought. That, that's the unbelief. If they had thought that the resurrection was a hoax, see, they didn't. They didn't there was no expectation from the little flock to believe that he was going to be risen. But their willingness subsequently, after the fact here, their willingness to suffer persecution, even death, becomes a validation, a testimony that he is risen. Do you follow that? See, the unbelief is painting a picture here that before, they had no reason to claim a hoax. They had no reason to say somebody stole his body. They didn't believe it. Subsequently, after the fact, they suffer greatly. And what do they say? The testimony. They started out, you see, an unbelief. Now they're believing. Why? Because the testimony. See, They had moved from unbelief to belief. They had moved when they began to see, Acts 1 verse 3, the infallible proofs. They moved. Okay? Now, time is up. We'll come back in next time and talk here and, and about Peter. Uh, there in verse 7 and following, and we'll see what... And, and by the way, only Mark tell his disciples and Peter, singling out Peter. That personal interview by the Lord with Peter, resurrected interview. And you know what it did? It converted Peter. Peter's doubt, his unbelief, goes away. Thomas sees him, handles him. Doubt goes away. Infallible proofs all there. They were not they were they were unprepared for the resurrection. And it takes the the rest of the testimony about it how it happened, the details and again, Mark is focusing in on the, on the impact, the impression that his resurrection had on the disciples. And uh, here, here, here is what it did to them. And you know what it did? It made believers out of them in the end. Now, the others focus on the Lord and seeing him in different more events. And all that, again, results in what? Them believing. Okay? So... We'll go in next time, look at Peter, get down through at least verse 7 and 8, okay? <laughs> All right? 
And again, I'm not trying to drag my feet through here because we'll talk about, but it's, this is such a critical, when we talk about giving the gospel, yes, he died. Yes, he was buried. But man, resurrection has to be, that is the stamp of paid in full. It is done. The bill's been paid. Nothing more is owed. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the look into the resurrection here. We thank you for the resurrection and for the application now that you've given to us during the dispensation of grace. We appreciate it. I pray that we'd come to appreciate it more and more every day and rest in it every day. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.